Good morning, church. How's it going? Good, good. Y'all sounded good singing. Most of you. Oh, it's, it's good. It's always good to hear people worship. Um, be excited about the Lord. There's a lot to be excited about. I mean, we ought to be excited about Jesus when we think about who he is and what he's done and how awesome is it, you know, to be able to come in and worship together. Um, it's 2021. Yeah, yeah. It really ain't no different than last week, but it's 2021. Uh, but God's the same today, yesterday, today, forever, and the same God who was in 2020s and 2021 and two and three and four, and, and it'll keep going on and on forever. And so um, thankful for that, and we can have that knowledge. Um, we're going to continue. We've, we've kind of been out of this uh, a little bit um, here and there uh, the last couple of weeks, but we're going to jump back into this series called Scandalous Grace. We've been just looking at how, uh, how God draws people who so many times we probably would not have picked as the ones that God would draw, that God would call to himself, that God would save. Um, and looking at how grace really is scandalous, it seems like it goes against the grain of, of what ought to happen many times. And so um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10 today. I'll tell you this, we could spend weeks on Acts chapter 10, one, because it's full of so much information, but two, because it is truly one of my favorite chapters in scripture. And I hope today, after today, it'll be one of yours because this chapter of scripture is crucial for us. Unless you are Jewish, this chapter of scripture that we're about to read is essential for us because this is when we see um, the kingdom open up to Gentiles, uh, non-Jewish people to come into a relationship with God fully and completely through faith in Jesus. And so when we look in Acts, we see in Acts 1-8 where it shows how the gospel was gonna go from Jerusalem, sort of the center of where the church originated, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, right here in Acts chapter 10, we're about to see where the door is open for the gospel to go all the way to the ends of the earth. And that includes the majority, I would say, there's a good chance all of us in this room today into being able to come into a relationship with Jesus. That's what God is revealing. He had spoken about this all through the Old Testament. Now this is coming to a realization that even the Gentiles, even the non-Jews would be blessed because of Jesus. And so that's what we're looking at. So if you will, turn your Bibles there to Acts chapter 10, turn on your phones or whatever, and uh, however you're gonna follow along, look at the screen, whatever it might be. Um, we're gonna read a lot, um, and then we're gonna jump over to Matthew 16. Now this is, I, I started trying to figure out how can I break this chapter down and not read the whole chapter, but you really need to see the whole picture of this. And so it's gonna be a lot of reading. Don't get lost in it. Um, it's really a fascinating account we're about to read of all that God does to bring this man by the name of Cornelius, his friends and his family to salvation by faith in Jesus. And so we're gonna read it. Um, and then we're going to jump to Matthew 16. There's a couple of verses there I want us to read and we'll pray and get going. It says in Acts chapter 10, it says at Caesarea, this was a city, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He was basically in charge of about a hundred soldiers in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. 
The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, another city, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Every time I read that, it makes me think about Puff the Magic Dragon. Anybody else? <laughs> who lived by the sea. That, that song, yeah. Um, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, I want to point something out. It's going to take longer to get through it, but there's just some things you really need to see in this to fully grasp it and understand it. It says that Peter, who was Jewish, is staying at the house of a man by the name of Simon, and it specifically tells us that he is a tanner, meaning he dealt with dead animals, okay? In Jewish culture, in their um, uh, laws, it was considered unclean for someone to deal with dead animals in that way, in that, in that sense. Um, they saw tanners as, as unclean people. So we already see Peter, who was Jewish, already beginning to see some walls breaking down as he's staying here with this man, Simon, who is specifically mentioned as a tanner. Um, and so we, we see this happening in Joppa. It says about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof. Can you see how God is orchestrating all this? Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, this would, be, this would include, all of these animals would include some animals that were clean, according to the Jews, that they could eat, they could handle, and some that were unclean, that they couldn't eat, they couldn't handle. This is what God tells them. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Can you see how God is already working with Peter to bring him to this place where he's gonna be able to recognize the Gentiles who the Jews considered to be unclean as clean through faith in Christ, to not consider them impure or unclean if God has made them clean. Verse 16, this happened three times. Peter was stubborn like me, had to happen three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he, would, he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. This was a no-no. Gentiles didn't come into the home of a Jew. Jews didn't go into the home of Gentiles. There's something already happening with Peter's eyes being opened to the reality that God meant what he said in the Old Testament and that even the non-Jews, the Gentiles, would be blessed through Jesus. 
The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So Peter is making this association of the unclean animals that God has called clean now to people. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. There it is again. So I, went for, I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That is a huge passage of scripture. I realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every, from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in the Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. Are you catching all of this that God did so that we could come to salvation, come to be reconciled? They, put him, they killed him by putting him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one from whom, whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through the, his name. If you wanna go back and just get a brief glimpse of what God has done to bring us to a place of being reconciled to him because of his great love for us, go back and reread again, verses 34 through 43. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They're, they're amazed. This was not what they were expecting is that the Gentiles would receive the Holy Spirit. It says, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Do you remember what happened when the Jews were filled in Acts chapter two with the Holy Spirit? Said that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues and they began to praise God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Can you make that connection? They began to speak in tongues, they began to praise God and Peter looks at them, they realize he, he realizes they've received the Holy Spirit just as he has and he makes his statement that they have received the spirit just as we have. He says, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them 
for a few days. So he ordered them to be baptized. It was uh, the, the symbolism that they have come to faith in Christ. It was a symbolism that they have accepted Jesus as their savior. Sins are forgiven, but it was also symbolism that they've now been reconciled to God. It was also symbolism stating that they have been accepted by the church. That baptism was a huge thing that took place um, in the life of the church and in the history of the world. Now let's jump over to Matthew chapter 16, just a couple of verses here, four, four, I think, actually, that I wanna read to you. Matthew 16. Let's begin there, um, verse 15. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And so he's asking them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's truth. Thank you for life that comes through your word. God, I pray this morning our ears would be open to hear what you have to say, to be encouraged, to be challenged. God, to celebrate even your great love for us that tears down walls and boundaries, that moves mountains just to bring us to you, Lord, that opens blinded eyes that we can see, that opens stubborn hearts, hard hearts to be able to receive. God, I pray that this word would sink deeply in our hearts. We'd leave here different and that God, we'd leave here with a greater understanding of your love for us and that that great understanding of your love, the love we experience would compel us into the world to those that, God, you desire. God, those that you call clean, even when the world may call them unclean. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have something that looks like this, perhaps in your car or in your truck? At home, everybody got a junk drawer? Y'all got something that looks like that? Here's, here's the truth about this. I've got a couple of these. This one is not mine, actually. Um, uh, but I've got a couple that, that resemble this. Keys probably collected over 20 or 30 years. How many of those keys do you think I know what they go to? But how many of you are afraid to throw that key away? Because you might need it one day. As if you're gonna come to a lock one day and go, you know what, if I only had that key and you're gonna go back and get these and, and try every one of them until you find it, you're never going to, but for some reason we're afraid to throw that key away. And so when, when we think about this, I, I thought about the key to the kingdom of heaven. I thought about Peter and, and the key that he was given. It says that he was given the key to the kingdom of heaven, that whatever he loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever he bound on earth will be bound in heaven. And this key was given to him. And what I want you to notice is that as we've been going through the book of Acts, we have seen Peter and the other apostles and the other believers using that key to unlock the door of heaven for multitudes of people to come in. I don't believe the key was an actual key, obviously. I believe the key is the gospel. I mean, the key is the gospel that unlocks the, the way for people to come into heaven. Jesus, it says in the scripture, is the gate that he's the one who comes through. The gospel that is preached is what opens people's eyes to come into the kingdom through Christ. 
And we see this, if you go and you look and think back to where we've been through the book of Acts, we see that the kingdom first was open to the Jews in Jerusalem. We know then that the kingdom uh, was open to the people in Judea through the gospel, the same key. We know that the, the kingdom was then open to Samaritans. We spent some time talking about that, that Samaritans, a lot like the Jewish people, were despised by, or a lot, lot like the Gentiles, were despised by the Jews. They were not like, they were seen as dirty. They were seen as sort of a hybrid mix of, of um, Jew and Gentile, of Jewish and kind of creating their own religion. And so when we look at this, the key was, Open the gate was open, the door was open for Samaritans to come into the kingdom. We saw where an Ethiopian eunuch came into the kingdom. This man who would have been very, very different, a man who was um, castrated, and yet God brought him into the kingdom. He sent Philip specifically to this man, brought him into the kingdom. The, 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 the gate to heaven, the door to heaven opened to this man. We see that. Um, Saul, who became Paul, that the kingdom was open to him, that he could come into the kingdom of heaven. This man who had persecuted the church, tried to destroy it, was responsible for the murder and imprisonment of men and women who called on Jesus' name, who, was, who were followers of Jesus. And yet the key was great enough to open the kingdom up to this man and for him to be used by God. And so we, we see this happening. Now we come to this place in Acts, in Acts chapter 10, where what we see happening is really astounding. We see that the key now is, is used and this gate, this door is opened. The eyes of the Gentiles are opened. The eyes of the Jews are opened to realize that now this, this door to the kingdom has been opened to the world so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This is an astonishing thing. And if you have any joy, any love, any peace, um, any patience, any goodness, any faithfulness, any um, power for life, any um, comfort in knowing that you are um, reconciled to God for eternity, then this chapter should be really, really good news to you. And you should see all the obstacles that God tore down so that you and I would know that the Old Testament, when he promised Abraham all the way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and he said, your seed, meaning Christ, your seed will be a blessing to all nations. Guess what? We're a part of the all nations. And God used that key um, through Peter in this case. That's why Peter was there when all of these people, these people groups were coming to faith. Can you see this? He was there in Jerusalem when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, began to praise God. He was there. He had to go to Samaria after Philip had proclaimed the gospel. He witnessed them receiving the Spirit. He had to go to Cornelius' house and he witnessed him receiving the Spirit and his family and friends receiving the Spirit as he was speaking and telling them about the great news of Jesus who opens the kingdom to us. And so when we look at this, we see this astonishing thing happening. Here's where I'm gonna challenge us today, church. Have we forgotten the keys that we have? Have we really, is it, has it just kind of become a, a, a key with a lot of keys? 
Do we really understand what God has given us in the gospel? Do we really understand what God has given us with the good news of Jesus? Do we understand that you and I have been given the keys to the kingdom? This, this message, which is, is what God, what Jesus was meaning when he was saying to Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock was not Peter. The rock was the revelation of who Jesus is. And I've given you the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom is a revelation of Christ by which we come into, and listen, do we realize the power of that key? Do we realize the power of the gospel that, that has opened the kingdom of God to all people? Do you know that you, if you are a believer in Jesus and you understand this gospel enough to just articulate it to someone very simply, that you and I have the key for people to enter into life, to be reconciled to God. I think church that in many ways we've forgotten the key that we've been given, the power of the gospel. If there's anything I can tell you that I've seen over the last 12 years of this church is that the gospel is still powerful. The proclamation of the gospel still does exactly what Jesus was sent to do. It still sets prisoners free. It still releases captives. It's still good news to the poor. It's still good news uh, to those who have been bound in sin. It's good news to the addicted. It's good news to those who are trapped up in, in all kinds of slavery to different types of things. It is still good news. It is still good news that gives life to man, to people. And this grace is still scandalous. This grace is still scandalous. See, I worry sometimes that we feel like some people just won't ever enter into the kingdom. I feel like sometimes we get to this place where we sort of give up. We sort of settle in to just what we know, to what we've already experienced. And today I wanna challenge you that the gospel is great enough to save the least of these. The gospel's great enough to save the one that the rest of the world just passes by. The gospel is great enough to save the roughest. The gospel is great enough to save the snootiest, the most wealthy. The gospel is great enough to save the addicted, the homosexual. The gospel is great enough to save anyone. There is no sin that is so great that the gospel cannot save. But we need to have our eyes open to realize this. I want you to just think about this. Think about the apostles. Think about the apostles. I want to talk, I'm not going to go through every one of them. But I want you to think about, first of all, the 12, a few of them that Jesus selected. Because these are people who... Jesus picked to be basically his right-hand men, right? So let's just start with the obvious. Let's start with Peter. Peter was given the name Cephas, which means rock or stone. And Jesus even told him, you know, Peter, you're gonna be instrumental in this. And Peter was. But you know, Peter, we hear a lot of times, was a fisherman. Peter was, you know, um, a rough 
character. Peter often spoke uh, very hastily. Peter often put his foot in his mouth. On one occasion, Peter cut a man's ear off because they were threatening Jesus. The only reason he cut his ear off is because he missed. The goal was to cut his head off. Like Peter didn't swing the sword thinking, I'm going to cut his ear off. <laughs> he was trying to kill him. And yet, this is the one you give the keys to? Really? What about Andrew? I like this one. This is good. This is good. Andrew, another fisherman. Hardcore dude, right? Uh, we often have... I kind of think about Christianity as being soft and fluffy. These were men. And just to prove this to you, Andrew in Greek means manly. Would that not be an awesome name? You walk up to somebody, they're like, you're like, hey, how's it going? They're like, good. They're like, what's your name? They're like, Pete. What's your name? Manly. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, my name's Manly. And somehow the church in many ways, we've sort of emasculated God and the gospel and Jesus. And I think it's why a lot of men don't flock to the church in many ways. And I'm not trying to make a statement about gender. Look, I don't... I'm not getting into that, but here's the thing I'll tell you. The church is not intended to be emasculated. The church is strong. It's powerful, both men and women. The church requires people with some grit, a little something in their gut. And listen, we may not have been born with this grit, but the Holy Spirit gives us this courage and boldness that we can step into. We look at this, another one, James, another fisherman. James was the brother of John. John got a little bit more press than James. Part of the reason for that is in the book of Acts, James is pretty quickly martyred. He was the first apostle to be martyred for his faith. He didn't back down, he didn't back away. He, he, he went to his grave because of his faith in Christ. Then his brother, John, who... Uh, gave himself the title, the one whom Jesus loved. No arrogance in that. But another fisherman. But think about James and John. James and John had their mother ask for them to get special seats in Jesus' kingdom. Again, another humble act, right? They were also the ones who, when Samaritans didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They asked Jesus if they could call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans. Now think about this. How humbling was it for John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, to have to go with Peter to witness the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, receive the Holy Spirit and recognize that they had been accepted just as he is. Is that not kind of funny? He's like, dang, I wanted to kill them all. Jesus is saving them. Sometimes we can have the same attitude. How about Thomas? Thomas, we call him the doubter. 
And like Thomas was a weak person. But how many of you, if you were in the same situation as Thomas, you go out for a walk and you come back and there's some of your best friends that go, hey, a dead man just walked through the door and showed himself and revealed himself to us. How many of y'all would just go, okay, right? <laughs> Nobody. And so we kind of give Thomas a bad rap, but we'd have probably done the same things. I'm probably, I could hear myself saying this, like unless I see the scars in his hands, the scars in his side, I'm not gonna believe. If I can't put my fingers in his side, I'm not gonna believe. I can see myself doing that. But Thomas wasn't this weak person. In fact, if you go back and read the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and 12, what you're gonna see is that when Jesus was wanting to go back to Bethany to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, and he's wanting to go back. And, and some of the disciples begin to say, look, Jesus, they just tried to stone you there. The Jews just tried to kill you and you're wanting to go back. And Thomas is the one who speaks up and he goes, let us go back and die with him. And it wasn't, I don't think Thomas was saying it like, well, we might as well go die with him. I mean, it was strength. How about this, Matthew, Levi, tax collector, he was one who, as a tax collector, took money from Jews for the Roman government. He, he had basically betrayed his nation, betrayed his people. He had come to this place where he would even, most tax collectors extorted money from Jews. It was something where they would get very, very wealthy. And yet Jesus calls this man to be his follower. And it says that Matthew left his tax booth and never returned. And then this is really funny. There was also a man that they referred to by the name of Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. And I put these two together because this is, this is quite um, humorous. A zealot was one who had immense national pride. He was a Jew who loved Jews. He loved the nation of Israel. He would fight for the nation of Israel. He was zealous for the nation of Israel, great national pride. He hated Rome because the Jews were under this Roman empire. He hated Rome. How do you think he and Matthew probably got along? You have a zealot, who loves the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, who hates Rome, and you've got a man over here who's taking money from the nation of Israel for Rome. And Jesus is like, hey guys, come on in here. Do you think it was just this standing around holding hands and singing Kumbaya all the time? I think it's why Jesus would just get flustered with them sometimes. He's like, really? I bet when Jesus would go pray as often as he did by himself, I don't know that one of those prayers might not have been, hey, Father, did I hear you right? Are these really the knuckleheads? And yet they were so imperfect. What about the women? What about the women? What about the Samaritan woman at the well? She'd been married five times. She was currently living with another man. Jesus begins to tell her her entire life story. But instead of condemning her, Jesus loved her. 
and began to speak to her about truth and true worship and about his identity. What about Mary Magdalene? Some people say Mary Magdalene is the same woman that washed Jesus's feet, the prostitute. There's not much biblical evidence that really says for sure it could be, but there's nothing that really ties that together. But this is what we do know. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. You thought you were jacked up. Seven demons. Go read Luke 8 too. Here's the challenge in this, guys, as we look at this, and there's more and more and more people we could go through. These are just some of the easy ones to see in Scripture where we see how this scandalous grace enveloped these people. People we would not have chosen, God chose. So why was it, listen, this is where the challenge is. This is where it challenges me. Why is it that Jesus was so ordinary yet extraordinary? But the church wants to be so professional and so cleaned up and so polished. We want to hide behind our knowledge and our degrees and we want to hide behind all of this stuff. And yet Jesus was this ordinary, extraordinary guy who went to the very ordinary. And yet as the church, we kind of want to clean ourselves up. We want to get our hands clean. Yes, we want to be made right in Christ, but we better be dirty in ministry. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. And this is a new year and it's time to, 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 to begin to move in a, a bold direction. It's a new opportunity. I don't think God cares that it went from December 31st to January 1st, but it's a new opportunity. And I worry sometimes, church, that after 12 years, we've lost our edge with this a little bit. That we've lost our edge. That maybe we have become too polished. Maybe we're not as gritty as we used to be. And I'm challenging you, I am encouraging you that we find that grit in ourselves. That we don't get so cleaned up that we think somehow I've got it figured out, I've got it together. That we don't become another church that looks down on the ones that Jesus loves. How is it, listen, that the first disciples were so manly, and I'm probably gonna get all kinds of mail for this. <laughs> Women, you can be manly too. That's not what I'm meaning, okay? But it was so manly, it was so gritty, it was so tough, it was so, so um, stubbornly set towards where they were supposed to go. And yet the church today refuses in so many ways to battle for souls or even righteousness. It's like we're comfortable telling people what we're against but we are scared to death to tell people who Jesus is for. Why is it that Jesus was always with the dirty, but the church is so clean and so polished, so perfect? 
I'll be honest with you, I didn't get into this to hang out with perfect people. I don't like to be around perfect people. Because you know what? They're not perfect. They're just acting like they are. And I don't like fake people. If people are going to hide behind a facade, then honestly, I don't want much to do with them. But if you're willing to let the junk out, then hey. And you're willing to show the ugliness of your sin, then, then we can get somewhere. It's kind of funny, and I'll, I'll share this, but it's one of the reasons I enjoy hunting is because I get to be around guys who don't give a rip about what I do. They could care less. And that's the way I want it to be. But church, we don't need to be a bunch of polished people who act like we have no flaws. We need to be a bunch of people who are repentant of our sin. Understand, though, that we're not perfected from it and that our voice is a voice to those who understand they aren't perfected either and they recognize they need a savior. I remember several years ago that um, a friend of mine who was in recovery Still goes to church here. And this was early, early on in the church and I'd gotten to know him, great guy. He invited me to go to an AA meeting with him. And is that one of the AA buildings here in town? And so I rode with him and we get in there and the first thing was like, I couldn't see the wall on the other side. There was so much cigarette smoke in the room. I was like, it's the glory cloud of God had filled the room. And I sat there and it was cool. It was like, as people were going up and a lot of them were getting chips for having been sober for a certain amount of time. And, and as they would get their chips, they would tell a little bit of their story. And I'm listening to him, listening to him, listening to him. And after the meeting was over, me and my friend, we go and we get back in his truck and um, he kind of looks over at me and, and kind of smiles at me like, what'd you think about that? And I said, you know, the realization I have while we were in there was that I'm not really any different than they are. You know, the realization that I had is they've got their issues and I've got mine. But we all deal with the same issue and that's sin. We all deal with the same issue and that's the weakness of my flesh to overcome sin. And here's the good news, church. So we are united around someone named Jesus who breaks the power of sin off of our life, regardless of if it's AA or whether it's gossip or whether it's greed or whatever it might be, coveting, whether it's envy, whatever it might be, we have a savior who loves us so much and grace is so scandalous, he comes even to us. So what do we do? What do we do? Listen, we need to realize this, guys. We need to realize this that we are a bridge into someone else's life. Cornelius was this bridge type person. If you go and you read in Acts 10, 24, you'll see this, Acts 10, 24, this is what it says. 
It says the following day, he, meaning Peter, arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. I want you to understand this, that you, like Cornelius, have a circle of influence that God is giving you that needs the gospel. I want you to catch this, and this is a little bit of a long sentence, but I want you to understand this. Your past and your current influence intersect your past and your current influence. They intersect to give you present and future opportunities that are unique to you. If you are a Christian, your past didn't disqualify you. What God is gonna do is use your past and your current influence that even for a lot of you, your past has given you and it's gonna give you unique present and future opportunities to be a bridge into someone else's life, into a circle of people that no one else may be able to influence, that nobody else may be able to take the keys and unlock the gate to share Jesus with them. Second thing we need to do, we need to recapture the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to recapture the power of the Holy Spirit. We, like Peter and Cornelius, we need a visitation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But how did that come to them? They were praying, they were seeking, they were pressing in and God spoke to Cornelius and then God spoke to Peter and God orchestrated this. God will orchestrate these types of things in your life too. It might not be a sheet coming down with a bunch of animals in it, but he will bring things together in ways that give you opportunity to share the gospel. But we need to take hold of God's promise. We need to understand that God has promised that if we will ask him and we will seek him and we will ask and we will knock, that he promises he will give us more of the Holy Spirit. But do you know how you take hold of God's promises? It's by faith. Faith is the hand that grabs hold of what God has promised. Do we have faith? to believe, one, that God will give us more of his spirit, more grit, more power for life, more ability to share the gospel, more competence than we would have in and of ourselves. And then do we have faith and believe that Jesus can save anyone, anyone? Last thing I'll tell you is this, we need to remember whose kingdom it is. It's not your kingdom, not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Acts 10, 34. It's a scripture I told you was huge. It says, God does not show favoritism. If God doesn't show favoritism, then why would we? Why would we show favoritism to people that look like us, act like us, talk like us, live near us, all of those things? In a lot of ways, Cornelius' conversion was a much greater challenge for Peter and the Jews with him than it was for Cornelius. They had to accept him. They had to accept his friends, his family. And church, listen to me, the church needs to have the same revelation those Jews had, that God accepts unclean people through faith in 
Jesus. Until every person knows him, we are not done. Peter used the keys to the kingdom to open this door to the Gentiles. Let me ask you this. If God has opened a door for all people, all types of people to be saved, then who are we to try to close it? Guys, we have been given keys to the kingdom that can open heaven for people. The question is, what are we gonna do with it? We can see incredible things, but we gotta take hold of it by faith. We gotta step in faith. I hope through this, you can see how scandalous God's grace really is. I hope through this, you can see how incredible God's love is. I hope through this, you can see how much God loves us and how he will not allow anything to stand between himself and his people. I hope you can see in this, the effort that God has made to bring you and I to himself. Unclean people made clean, made right with God through Jesus because of his great love for us. I'm gonna pray. Um, I'm gonna ask our band to come out and we're gonna sing one more song and I hope this will sink deep into our hearts. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the power of your presence. We thank you for the power of your love. We thank you for grace that God is indeed scandalous. We thank you for love, Lord, that goes beyond all boundaries. We thank you, Lord, that we're never too far, that your arm's not too short to save. Would you give us ears to hear, Lord? Would you give us hearts to turn from our sin and to turn to you, Lord? Help us, God, to hear you, to know you. Give us even grace to long for you. Thank you for your great love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.